Hello everyone, welcome to our Wednesday Dhamma and Q&A session. A chance for us to come together as a community, practice, study, teach the Dhamma. I'm joined today by Chris and uh, Jim, Ulu, Max. Coming together as a community is an important part of Buddhist practice. It's an important part of the things that keep Buddhism alive, prevent Buddhism from fading away, and, and by extension, it's the sort of thing that works with any organization, of course. Something we, as people who are interested in seeing that our organization doesn't fade away, something that we should be mindful and conscientious of, conscious of. The Buddha talked about seven things that prevent the decline. Prevent decline. He talked about the decline of a society, and he talked about the decline of, of the community of Buddhist practitioners, the bhikkhus. Bhikkhus can mean Buddhist monks. It can also mean anyone who has undertaken the practice of the Buddhist teaching, who is inclined to free themselves from the dangers of samsara. And so he, he laid down what he called the rad, Raja Parihaniya Dhamma, the Dhammas that prevent the decline of a kingdom. And then he went and talked to the monks about this, and he said, well, it's one thing to talk about decline of a kingdom, but as for the decline of our community, there's seven things that will prevent that, and he called them the bhikkhua parihaniya dhamma. Parihaniya, decli declining, fading away. Aparihaniya. Ap 
And there are seven things, starting with community. Buddha said, we should come together often. We should meet together. Staying alone, it, the problem is you end up falling prey to your own problems. It's much easier to see the problems of others. It's also much easier to take others as an example because of our because our strengths and weaknesses are different. And because the external that we present to others is different from the internal, it can help to be surrounded by others who, who meet with others who are practicing on the right path. We tend to support people. We tend to support each other when we come together in in wholesome endeavors like this. So, of course, meeting to do bad things would, would have the opposite effect if we met to go out to parties or bars or whatever. But meeting meeting together in a proper and in a positive and a wholesome way like this is a very important part of our practice. It's a big reason why we have these sessions to provide a community. The second is harmony. So relating very much to community when we do join together, when we do meet together, we should come together on time. Try not to come late when you have meetings. We should leave, we should perform our business in harmony. We should try our best to be mindful and conscientious of each other. Thoughtful, helpful. That's something great about our community. We see a lot of, we see we see the positive effects of our practice sort of uh, manifested in our organization that way there's a great amount of harmony in the organization everyone is helpful and considerate of each other there are of course going to be wrinkles but we don't have any feuds or fights or anything like that as far as I know something to appreciate the harmony of, of harmony of these sessions for example this on on youtube to have a harmonious session on youtube is a great thing it's a great accomplishment the third is integrity integrity relates to the content of our practice of our Uh, our, our communal endeavors. And this is a problem that communities sometimes fall prey to, is losing sight of the point of the goal, of the focus. So integrity means in our endeavors, in our engagements, we remember to maintain a focus on what's important. 
trying to separate what's important from what's not important. Always be conscious of why we're here. When you come to this session, you should undertake it with, with a level of mindfulness. You shouldn't be switching tabs between Facebook and whatever else there is out there. Best you should close your eyes, take it as an opportunity to meditate in a group, in a community, with guidance, with support. And we focus on meditation. Our, our questions are very much restricted to what is important as best we can discern. We try to focus on those questions that are important, try to provide answers that are practical and helpful uh, out of an interest in focusing on what's important, maintaining integrity so we don't get off track. The fourth is humility. Humility relates to respect. So respect for the teacher. Today I'm in a position of a teacher during this session. It's important that everyone have respect for that position. Try not to step up as a teacher or be disrespectful or that sort of thing. Be conscientious of the time and so on. But respectful for each other. A teacher has to be conscientious for their students' needs. They can't be arrogant or conceited or overbearing. And to each other, respect for each other's time. Whenever we post something, is this respectful? Is this helpful? Is this appropriate? Is this proper of my position, my role in this engagement? Be humble. Humility is important. Number five is purity. No set of things that promote the well-being of a Buddhist community would be complete without reference to purity. As I mentioned last time we met, I think it was on purity. Purity is the essence of the Buddhist teaching. So in all of our endeavors and all of our activities, we should strive for cleansing the mind from greed, anger, delusion. Check ourselves when we have them. Try to prevent them through the practice of mindfulness, through the constant maintenance of mindful practice. Number six is sanctity. Sanctity relates to space mostly. Sanctity involves respecting space. It also involves appreciating space. It involves inclining towards positive spaces, not letting ourselves get caught up in society 
find time to retreat into seclusion, to create positive space for ourselves and for others. So we can think of this channel as a sort of a space. Our Discord server is this kind of a space. We respect the sanctity of that, trying to make it as, make these online spaces as helpful as possible. There's always going to be some challenges in dealing with online space, but we try our best to make them positive spaces. And finally, hospitality, remembering to respect, respect and, and welcome visitors, guests, newcomers to the practice, and those who, who are already here, to respect those who are here in our space and to provide them with what they need. So in, in real world, this means our, our building, our, our site here. We have rooms open and we welcome people and we provide food and necessities. That's another great thing to appreciate how supportive everyone is and how we're able to continue to offer this space through the support of our local volunteers and our uh, remote volunteers, our entire board of directors and volunteers online who support this place and also support the online community. We have people welcome, we have a, people dedicated to welcoming newcomers to our Discord community. So we remember to support each other, not just spiritually, but even materially, to support each other in terms of providing space and accommodating each other, supporting each other in our practice. You don't have to teach others to support them, just providing them with space and support physically, materially. is It's a great, great thing. So that's it. There's seven things. It's a very good list. don't know if I've actually talked about them online recently or ever, but this is something that we can all and should all appreciate, remember, and put into practice. It's not a direct, directly a teaching on the practice. Our practice is simply the practice of mindfulness, but as as is true in many ways, uh, there are things that keep our practice alive, support our practice. And these seven things I think are a big part of that. Keeping the community alive, which will support our practice and keep our practice progressing. So thank you everyone for taking part in the community and maintaining the community, volunteering, supporting the community materially. It's all great stuff. So that's the Dhamma for tonight. If there are any questions, I'm happy to take them. I seem to have fewer questions lately, so we don't have to stay for the whole hour if there's not a lot of questions, but I'm ready when you guys are. All right, let's begin.
When I'm meditating, sometimes I think about my mom's suffering from her illness, and I end up becoming emotional. I cry. Do I simply note the feeling, or stop and continue when it's gone? Well, you shouldn't ever really stop. But one thing you should notice is that there's a progression there. So there's thinking, and then there's emotion, and then there's crying. And so you shouldn't just note the feeling, you should also note the thinking, you should note the emotion, the sadness, as well as the crying, you should note that as well. You can just say crying if you're crying, you can note sad when you're sad and thinking when you're thinking. Try and just note it all. There's no benefit in, in, in stopping. And if, you know, conversely, there's great benefit in continuing and noting you'll find that you're able to come to terms with it much better. But note everything, not just one thing, not just the result when it's already too late. Try not thinking and sad as well. How should one approach wanting to be mindful? Is this considered a hindrance, and should it be noted? I noticed it in meditation the other day. Everything should be noted, so there's no question there. It is considered a hindrance if you want. Sometimes you'll be frustrated as well. It relates to the idea of self that somehow you can control it to be different than what it is to to sort of accelerate the, the progress. That's not really how it works. You just do it or don't do it. And every time you remember to do it, just do it. You can't make it any better. There's no way to speed up the process by wanting or desiring or pushing. I don't have a private spot to meditate in my mom's apartment. Would it be weird to just go into my bathroom and try meditating? I mean, do you think, I, are you asking if I think it would be weird? That's a strange sort of question. Weird isn't really a factor here. Um, it would work fine, I'm sure, if you went in the bathroom and meditated. It's also fine to practice in places that aren't necessarily private, provided that other people are, are supportive, not talking or chatting. If people are making noise, that's fine. Sometimes very hard when, it's usually very hard when people are talking. But as long as they're not talking or watching television loudly or so on, you should be able to, in some instances, practice even though it's not private. We've caught up to the questions, Bhante. Hmm. We don't have a lot of questions today. Which is a good sign. It's a sign that everyone knows everything already. Well, if anyone is uh, interested in taking our at-home course, um, I recommend if you're if you haven't that you read our booklet on how to meditate, and you can sign up for an at-home course. Maybe you'll have some questions then. I can wait a little bit. Maybe people are coming and have new questions. I guess it's also uh, the holidays, right? People are 
preoccupied with other things. What day is this? The 23rd. Probably people traveling and thinking about family and so on. Stay safe, everyone. It's not worth it to infect your family members with a communicable disease, especially your elder family members. If you can, try and stay distant and in cases where you're not absolutely sure you're not going to infect them. It's a part of the global community. We have a responsibility to be conscientious of each other, not just do what we want or just because we think we know best. I wish everyone a happy end of year. The end of the year doesn't mean much for Buddhists. This time of year doesn't mean anything really. Except to say that because we're counting the end of the year as the end of the year, we can think about the new year and think about the old year and consider what we're planning for the new year, that it has some new things in it, that we learn new things. It doesn't just mean it's a new year. It should be a new us as well, and we work towards greater knowledge and understanding and clarity of mind. Some more questions have come in, Bhante. All right. As long as they keep coming, we can keep answering. I just became a Buddhist. Would it be useful to come out to my family about this? They are heavily Christian. I mean, it's useful for people to know about Buddhism and to have to confront it. But it's like having a, an allergic reaction to medicine or an aversion to medicine, I suppose. And the thing is, your family is going to be potentially quite upset. And so the question is whether you can deal with the fallout of that. I would say generally it's a bad idea, but I want to specify that technically in the long term, it's going to have, it's, it could have positive consequences if they're able to deal with it. So what I mean by allergic reaction is some people just aren't able to take medicine. Some people will never be able to appreciate Buddhism. They're just too allergic to it. You have to be clear that your parents are not those sorts of people. And often you'll find that they're able to appreciate Buddhism. There's nothing uh, something bad about Buddhism, that, that nothing offensive about it. It's certainly not necessary. It's not the kind of thing that you really have to do or else you're lying or that sort of thing. It's not necessary to even call yourself Buddhist. There's no such thing. It's just a concept. You know, practice mindfulness and you can do that. It doesn't matter what you call yourself. What happens on your online course? That's not really online. Um, 
except that we meet, we, we have a, an audio talk every week. So you have to do at least an hour of meditation a day, half walking, half sitting. You have to keep the five precepts. And we meet once a week, and every week I'll give you a new exercise, and we go through a course. It's much more than you get from the booklet. The booklet is really just the basics, the first step. But you need, uh, you'll need to join our Discord server. We're now using Discord for the meetings, and we, you don't use, we don't use video, so it's just an audio call. It's free, so welcome to sign up. How can we regain the motivation to practice if we've been away from the practice for a while? Well, just do it. There's really no secret. You can't just wait for the desire to do it to come. You have to just do it. Start being mindful. You often have to separate the idea of meditation from actual mindfulness and just try and be mindful because mindfulness is something you can do right now. You should never be away from that. And you find the more mindful you are, the more inclined and the more easier it is for you to sit and walk. Sometimes I do sitting meditation first. Is this okay? If you're going to do both, it's recommended to do walking first. There's really no reason to do sitting first, but... If you're just going to do sitting, you can just do sitting, that's fine. But try and do walking first, it has benefits for sitting. Can we take a second at-home course because of the extenuating circumstances? Since there's no possibility to go on retreat for me, and I feel I could use some guidance. There is no second at-home course. Uh, I mean, feeling that you need the guidance isn't really a sign that you do need it. What you really need is to just continue. If you have questions or nothing, something wasn't clear, you can get in touch. But really, the point is that's the that's the challenge. The challenge is to live your life and cultivate mindfulness. You can do it right now. The effort it took you to write that question, you could also have been mindful, or hopefully you were. But it, it takes, what I mean is, it takes no more effort than coming here and asking questions than it does to practice. If you have specific questions, well, that's what this is for, but you really don't need another at home course. That's the, the point is to make it, to go the next step now and undertake the challenge of doing it on your own. Because you can, you can do it right now. Sometimes when I know things, I get stuck on what I noted, rather than focusing on the rising and falling. Should I move past this, or just practice? If you're stuck on something, then you should note it. You should note that you're stuck. I mean, stuck is 
not really what's happening. You have to figure out what's happening. Is there liking or disliking or worry or whatever? And note that. The only time I find my mind can stay with meditation is when I am noting pain. Is this common? Common isn't of interest to us. If, if that's what's happening to you, that's what's happening to you. But I wouldn't be so categorical about it. Like, it's probably not true that you can not note anything else or you cannot stay with your meditation. Of course, when you're when there's something negative, the mind is it's much easier for the mind to stick with it because the mind is obsessed with it. That's not necessarily a good thing because the mind is disliking, which is unwholesome. Meditation is challenging. No matter what experiences you have, being truly mindful is going to be a challenge. Doesn't matter whether it's common, you just deal with your condition. Try and be patient and work towards greater mindfulness, not just staying with the object because if you say you know when there's pain of course you're staying with it but not in a very wholesome way try and learn to cultivate clarity of mind then you'll find you can do that with everything should a buddhist diet consist of veganism only no Can we see rising of the stomach as arising and ceasing, and falling as arising and ceasing? You should see them as rising and falling. You shouldn't be too technical or theoretical about it. The answer is yes, they are arise. Each one, of course, arises and ceases. I mean, it's quite simple. The question is, is the answer is pretty obvious, but, but the point, because we, we study it, you miss the point, you see? when you study and get theoretical about it. If I can answer your question by asking, does the rising of the stomach begin? Yes. Does it end? Yes. Well, then of course it's arising and ceasing, right? That's it. That's all there is to it. So don't be too fixated on those ideas. Just when it's rising, try and note it from beginning to end. When it's falling, try and note it from beginning to end. What chants would be useful to chant if one can't note? I don't understand if one can't note. I don't understand why. Are there useful chants? I mean, chants are useful on a basic level. They're not going to replace mindfulness. How long should one wait before attempting to ordain as a monk? I can't answer that question. Ordaining as a monk is very personal and, and specific to an individual. So you really have to talk to the person, the people who are involved with your ordination and figure out what their uh, instruction is.
Should I be concerned that because of some unwholesome past deeds, I was born into a society that is oblivious of the Buddha's teaching and or lacks a Sangha? I don't see what help it would be to be concerned. You can be concerned in the sense of understanding the the importance of those things, but really you're in the position you're in and best advice is to just start from where you're at. You may not become enlightened in this life very much because of your situation. A lot of people are like that. But you can certainly get started. And with the internet, the fact that you're able to get in touch this this far means you can get in touch with our community. And I wouldn't pay too much attention to your situation except to say, to realize that, well, to realize what's important, but to also uh, realize how hard you're going to have to work and appreciate the challenge don't let don't let it make you discouraged or worry about it or get sad about it of course i find it useful to do the wim hof method of breathing before meditating it gets me a bit more relaxed is this okay to use in conjunction with my meditation? You can do what you want. Uh, if you're doing a course with us, I would ask you not to. Uh, should you? Uh, I, w I wouldn't recommend it. I don't know what that is at all, but I don't recommend any other, anything else. No conditioning. See, getting yourself relaxed is not the point. That means you're avoiding the stress. We want to learn about the stress and understand the causes and the reasons for it, right? We want to appreciate stress for what it is. Mindfulness is about facing things, not about making things easier. They get easier when you understand them, when you become stronger by facing them, not by changing them or avoiding them. During meditation, I get so calm and serene that I am left with nothing to note. What next? When you're calm, you should note calm. There's something very clearly to note, and that's the calm. If you like it, you should note that as well. But when there's just calm, just say calm, calm until it goes away. I've been dealing with sloth for months. What should I note to get out of this lazy mind state? We're not trying to get out of the states per se, not directly. Just try and note lazy or tired. Lazy can be a bit of a judgment. It's not really the experience. Try and note the experiences of feeling tired or bored or, or uninterested, that sort of thing. Try and note what's there, really. You don't have to pay attention to being lazy or the, the idea of being lazy. Just try and note what you're experiencing. Could the first jhana arise during the practice of insight meditation? The first jhana means different things. Different people explain it differently. So I don't really want to go into it. I would I would say we don't really focus on those uh, kind of titles during our practice. I mean, the answer, I guess, technically is yes. And I mean, absolutely is yes, but 
it's really hard to talk about these things because people have different concepts and there are different kinds of jhana and that, and that sort of thing. The orthodox is that there are two kinds of jhana and then you have to deter, you have to separate between them, differentiate between them. How large of a hindrance are athletics, martial arts, to meditative progress? Not much of one at all, I would say. I mean, there's going to be physical problems, there's going to be mental problems. The physical problems are going to be tired, uh, and tired makes it hard to stay mindful. Mental problems are you going to get attached to it and, and egotistical about it in the sense of... of having power and control over the body and that sort of thing attached to the the good feeling of being fit or uh, that sort of thing but they're very small i would say if your mind if you do those things mindfully they won't, shouldn't, shouldn't have much impact on an ordinary practice they're the kind of things that you would be forbidden to do during an intensive course if you were cut to come to the center you would have to put them aside because they're distractions and they're problems both physically and mentally, but it's because the intensive course is pretty intensive. Could every physical pain be overcome by insight meditation? Depends what you mean by overcome. I mean, you can't get rid of physical pain completely unless you get rid of the body. But overcoming it in terms of not getting upset about it, that's the point. You can certainly do that through uh, vipassana meditation. Should we do other meditation too, or is vipassana all we must do? Vipassana is all you must do, but there are other meditations that can be helpful. Uh, you can be mindful of the Buddha, you can practice metta, kindness, you can practice mindfulness of death, and mindfulness of the foulness of the body. They're all supportive in different ways. They're not necessary, but those four meditations are supportive of mindfulness practice. What view should be taken toward lust? Well, you should see it as a problem, as unwholesome, as something to be vigilant about. But you just try and be mindful of it when it arises. The most important thing is to be able to catch it and note it when it occurs, note everything surrounding it as well, like the things you're lusting after, the thoughts about it, the, the pleasure pleasure involved with it, the frustration and disappointment when you don't get it, that sort of thing. When noting, should we differentiate between doubt in the practice or doubt about the Dhamma and, for example, the most extreme opposite, doubt about useless worldly things? No, you don't have to specify like that. The words aren't that important. They're not magic that you have to find the right word for things. 
If something strikes you as doubt, just note it as doubt, that's enough. We're just trying to see things as they are, rather than make more of them. You see, if you say doubt, then that's all it is. You're just reminding yourself that that's all it is. Would you recommend doing Vipassana before Samatha or the Samatha first? If you're going to do Samatha, do it first and then use it as a support for Vipassana. When I meditate, my perception of reality becomes sometimes distorted. Is this normal? Mindfulness isn't concerned about what is normal. In fact, you're going to find a lot of things abnormal, so become sort of uh, prepare yourself for that. Become flexible. If that's your experience, then just try to note it. Try and figure out what you mean by distorted. What is happening? Are you seeing things, hearing things, feeling things? Are there emotions and that sort of thing? Just try and know what's there. Don't be concerned with whether it's normal or not. Being abnormal is a sign that it, of helping you see reality or the universe or experience. Life is unpredictable. When we meditate enough, we hopefully will find the middle way, but that seems like a bland, pointless place to be, so I find motivation to meditate hard. Am I completely wrong about the middle way? Well, trying to find motivation for meditation is sometimes misleading. You can't rely on motivation like a thing that's going to push you to do it more. You just have to do it, and the reason why you do it is no, nothing conceptual about a middle way. It's about seeing things just as they are, clearly. And there's nothing bland about that. There's nothing pointless about that. What's pointless is our reactions to things. And worse than pointless, harmful. And when you see how harmful they are, the middle way looks pretty good by comparison. Middle way just means seeing things without all of this har these harmful reactions. Where is the first place to begin when starting the journey? Well, it uh, depends really how you're asking that, but I guess I would just answer, read our booklet on how to meditate. That's probably the best advice I can give. And then if you really are keen on beginning uh, the best way is not just to read the booklet, but to sign up for an at-home course. You can do that on our website. There are links in the description. It's all free. Take an at-home course and get started. How big of a hindrance to meditation progress is learning a musical instrument? How about reading classic books? 
A musical instrument will be more of a hindrance because music relates very much to liking and pleasure. So there is going to be problems associated with that. I mean, it's not a huge hindrance. It just, it is a hindrance. And classic books, I assume you mean classical fiction. Um, fiction is problematic. It can have a good lesson in it. There are books like maybe some of Dostoevsky's books. I often refer to Crime and Punishment, but even still limited Mostly it's still for entertainment. If it's for entertainment and if you derive entertainment pleasure from it, that's going to become addictive. I mean, it's not a serious problem. You don't have addiction support groups for people who listen to music, for example. But uh, in terms of the refinement of mind that on the level of Buddhist practice, it's going to be a hindrance. And if you don't believe me, you can find out for yourself. But I'm telling you, it's going to distract you from your practice prevent you from having a smooth and, and swift attainment of clarity and purity of mind. I have trouble when I meditate. It feels like the feeling in my feet lock up. May I have some advice? I don't quite understand. That's not how we would say it in English, I think, but... Um... If there's a feeling in your feet, just say feeling, feeling. That's not really a trouble. We just try to note everything. I don't know if you read the booklet on how to meditate, but I recommend that. If you want to take an at-home course, you could do that maybe as well. How can I understand and get rid of lust? Well, read our booklet get started. It's a long journey for most people. Be prepared for a journey and be patient and work. I have schizophrenia and I'm on medication. I meditate. Do you think I could handle the symptoms, delusions, without medication? Yes, I think you could. I mean, I don't know your situation, so that's probably an uh, an, an improper thing to say. But I mean, if the question is general, can someone who has schizophrenia, then the answer is yes. I've dealt with a couple of people now who have schizophrenia, and uh, they are able to. It's going to be limited and challenges. It's going to be challenging. Let's not say limited. It's going to be limited by your capacity to straighten out your perception of the delusions. So let's not call them delusions, let's call them illusions. Separate delusion from illusion. You're going to have hallucinations, illusions, even thoughts. Even the thoughts, don't think of them as delusions. Delusion is when you believe them. And try and separate those two things. Do you believe the, the thoughts? Do you believe the, the voices in your head, etc., whatever it is for you? Do you believe these things? That's where the delusion is. There's no, we, we don't believe things in Buddhism. We perceive them and we try to see them just as they are. So be clear about that. Buddhist practice and mindfulness practice issues any sort of belief. So you can keep that as an idea in your mind. Never believe anything. Belief shouldn't play a part. It should just be experience. 
and perception and observation and clarity, seeing things just as they are. That's all you need, literally. And you can do that with things that you see or hear in your head. You can also do that with the reaction. So when you're paranoid, when you're afraid, when you're clinging, when you're reacting to things, you can note those things as well. Try and take them, those, those emotions, those objects. And when you see them clearly, they have no power over you. What do we do if we get music stuck in our head? I note it, but the song does not go away, and it can get very annoying, making me frustrated. Uh, here's the problem with music. Um, so we're not trying to make things go away. That, so that's not a problem. Noting it is fine. Note it. You're not trying to make it go away. If after a long time it doesn't go away, you can just try and ignore it. When you're annoyed and frustrated, well, that's the kind of thing we want to learn about, how we get annoyed and frustrated, and we want to change that. So try and note annoyed, annoyed, and frustrated, and learn to just see it as it is, experience it as it is. What would be a good reason to read the Visuddhimagga? From front to back, uh, you'd have to probably be a monk to want to undertake that sort of thing. That's maybe not fair. I would say be an, an experienced meditator. I would recommend long-term meditators in our tradition to undertake it. I think it's worth reading. I think it absolutely is. You don't really need a special reason. But um, have a solid practice first. Won't be much help otherwise. We've again caught up to the pace of questions, Bhante. But All right, let's stop there then. It was good. In the end, we got a bunch, some good questions too. Some, I mean, good by good, some that were a bit new. I thought we can always get good questions. All right. Well, thank you, everyone. That's all for questions. Then, have a good night. You can talk again in chat. You all can say sad who. Have other, if you have further questions, you can bring them on Saturday or next week. Sadhu. Sadhu. <laughs>